podcast of sermons by Pastor Charles St. Ange, LCMS Missionary in Montreal, Quebec, and the Caribbean. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Our text for this morning is from Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, the fifth chapter, where he writes to us, If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So I told Deb earlier this week that I decided that I was going to be free texting, which means using a text that is not one of the texts that's assigned for the day, something I very rarely do, as those of you who have been with me for the last six years can attest. Now, when I said this to Deb, she at first thought I meant meant I was going to be freestyling, which in her mind meant kind of waiting for the spirit to move me. I wasn't going to do any preparation. Just stand up here in front of you and see what the Holy Spirit was going to give me to say. Now, sometimes the spirit does move pastors, but you can't always depend that the spirit is going to move you at, say, 11.15 a.m. on Sunday morning. And so that's generally not a great approach to preaching. What I'm not doing this morning is free theming. Today is Pentecost. Today, in all of our texts, including that passage I just read you from Galatians, we are talking about the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the third person of the Trinity. And so today is a day to reflect on this gift of the Spirit, to reflect worshipfully, if I could use that term, the fact that we are breathing, spiritually speaking. Which is one of the reasons, by the way, we don't talk directly about the Holy Spirit all that much because it is sort of talking about spiritual breathing. Hey, look, I'm breathing in, I'm breathing out, I'm breathing in, breathing out. If you spent your whole day doing that from a physical point of view, you never get anything done. Look at me, I'm breathing. But today we are going to talk about this fact that we take in the word of God and then faith gets exhaled. We bring in Jesus And trust comes out because that's the spirit at work in giving us life. And the spirit is the one who gives life. Breath and life go together. So our very first reading for this morning is from the prophet Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel is working with the people of God in exile. They have been torn out of Israel and carted off to modern-day Iraq, to Babylon. Their temple has been destroyed. Their leadership has been decimated. And now they find themselves in a foreign land. And they have had to bury people in foreign soil. Their loved ones, 
no longer gathered together with their fathers, as the Old Testament often speaks of, but instead being laid to rest in this place that was not their own. And that's the context for Ezekiel being given this vision from God of a valley filled with dry bones. And he is called upon to speak the word of God over those bones, and not just that, but to prophesy to the ruach in Hebrew, the wind, the breath, the spirit, that the spirit might come and take these bones and give them life. That where there was death and dryness and a loss of hope and a sense that nothing was going their way and that maybe God had abandoned them, that they might suddenly feel once again the presence of the Lord, the spirit and giver of life. And so Ezekiel prophesies to the breath, to the wind, to the spirit to come and fill up these bones and make them lively again. That's how Adam came to life back in Genesis. God is like a kindergartner playing with the dirt, right? He makes a mud cake, except his mud cake is way more elaborate than ours. It's got flesh and it's got bones and it's got tendons and it's got a cardiovascular system and lungs and kidneys and all that good stuff. But it's dead until God breathes into Adam, the earth guy, life the spirit, the breath, and then it becomes a living being. What is life? Life is one of those weird things that when you see it, you know it. I've got two girls now who are in high school and are having to study biology. I hated biology. I took my one mandatory biology course in grade 10 and checkmarked, that's it. Never looked at it again. I was going to engineering school, physics, math, chemistry. Give me numbers. Give me formulas. Give me things that add up because biology is like a bunch of Latin. Ironically, I ended up going to seminary, which where we have to learn a bunch of Latin. So I kind of wish that maybe I, I had done a little bit of biology, but there you go. And one of the things that you study in biology is this thing we call life. What is it? And it turns out that just from a physical, biological point of view, it's really hard to pin life down. Now, you know when you see it, right? That's a cat. That's alive. That's a rock. That's not. But where does the rock transition into the cat? Where's the, the red line where you can say, on this side of the line, it's dead. It's dry bones laying in a valley. And on this side of the line, suddenly it's alive. Very hard to determine. COVID-19, the coronavirus that gives us this disease, is it alive? You could start a whole debate amongst scientists over whether a virus is a living creature or not, or just a molecule. It's hard to tell. What we do know about life, though, is that a hard definition of life isn't just true biologically, but also spiritually. To have life from God's perspective is more than just having a pumping heart and lungs that take in air and a brain that has neurons that are firing at each other. Going back to Adam, 
What happened to him in the garden? He and Eve chose to rebel against God's command. They said, we would much rather take over your job, God, and you can take a vacation. We will be the Lord, and we will make things the way we want them to be. And in that moment, they died, according to Scripture. Now, here's the thing, right? Adam and Eve continue walking the surface of the earth for like nine centuries, having babies, watching their babies have babies, watching their babies' babies have babies. So we've got like great, 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 great grandkids and Adam and Eve still walking around, not dead biologically, but from God's perspective, they are, which means life for God is something more than just a beating heart and lungs taking in air and a brain with neurons that fire. How do you know that a tree in your neighborhood is dead? No leaves, no fruit, just wood, right? Look at that tree and say, my goodness, it's time to cut that thing down. It's dead. And yet, what did we just read from Galatians this morning? Paul talks about the spirit giving us fruit giving us life, giving us leaves, that the reality is without the spirit, we're so much dead wood just walking around in the world, biologically alive, but interiorly, spiritually dead. To have life from a spiritual perspective, according to what the apostles and the evangelists have told us, what Jesus himself has said is to have Jesus within us by his spirit, to have Jesus's death and resurrection animating us. And animating comes from the Latin that means having life. It is thanks to the spirit, again, that these dead bones live and that we are able to bear fruit fruit that lasts. We wouldn't have Jesus if it wasn't for the Spirit. Paul says nobody can say Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. If you are able to say this man dying on the cross died for me, and this man who rose from the tomb has risen for me, and he is mine and I am his, you can only do that because you have the Spirit, the same Spirit that gives life. It's why the very first thing we say in the Nicene Creed is the Lord and giver of life. Last week, we talked about the other spirits, and they are out there, and they are the spirits that give death. You can see their handiwork, Paul says. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this, which is Paul's way of saying, etc., etc., etc. These are the things that come from the other spirits. And they are not, in fact, things of life. They're things of death. Now, you might say sexual immorality how does that lead to death? Sensuality, how does that lead to death? Impurity. Well, there's two ways that all of these anti-fruits of the Spirit bring death. One is they bring death to ourselves. 
Because sexual immorality is ultimately about me satisfying my needs and what I want to have right now. Within the bounds of marriage, sexuality becomes what we offer to someone else. Outside of that, it's all about me. And that was Adam and Eve's problem in the very first place. They wanted everything to be about them. And that is what brings death. It's the anti-spirit. It's not a good fruit. It's poison. And of course, the other way that the spirit of this world brings death is we bring it to others. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, what does all of that do? It gets directed at other people, and it seeks to take away the life they have, whether it's a physical life or just spiritual life. Look at what's happening in our own province. How many politicians have announced they are not going to run for office again because they're sick of the death threats? They're sick of what's happening online. They're like, I wanted to serve. I didn't take the job of being mayor or member of the National Assembly or a council member so that people could be threatening my life and the life of my family day in and day out. Dissensions, envy, strife. They kill others and they take away their joy and their patience and push their self-control even to the limits. The spirits of this world do try and bring fruit, but it is fruit of a poisoned tree. Whereas the spirit who comes from Jesus, the Holy Spirit, brings life, takes dead bones, and makes them live. An exceedingly great army takes trees that were dead and makes them blossom and bloom with flowers that you can smell, with a radiance that people want to be around with fruit that people want to eat. The fruits of the Spirit are obvious, Paul says. Love, agape, to have a high appreciation and regard for others. Not an emotion, but an action. To see someone else and say, I want their best. Joy, kara in Greek, from which we get charisma and eucharist, the giving of good things. Peace, irene, from which we get an irenic person, not a word we use frequently, although I like to use it. That person is irenic. They're good to be around because they lower everyone's blood pressure. They bring tranquility to a room. Patience, steadfastness, stick to it ofness, you might call it. People that are like, we're just going to keep at this until we get it done. Kindness, to provide something of benefit to someone else, not just to you. Goodness, with the implication of generosity in the Greek word. To be good doesn't just mean being nice, but it means looking out for other people's needs. Faithfulness, to live a life of confidence and trust, not of hopelessness and despair. Gentleness, the condition of not being harsh towards others. Twitter and Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram could all use just a few more gentle people, couldn't it? And my favorite fruit, self-control. We live in an era where people love people that are passionate. 
I've been in ministry long enough and worked with churches often enough. They're looking for a pastor that if you ask them what they're looking for in a pastor, I can almost guarantee you the first thing out of their lips, someone passionate, full of passion. You know what the Bible has to say about passion? Very dangerous thing. Much better to have someone with self-control can keep their passions in check can keep themselves from losing control. Paul says, against such things, there is no law. Kind of tongue-in-cheek. Paul does have a sense of humor. So does Jesus, by the way. What does he mean, against such things, there is no law? He says, because I'm preaching to people that are driven by law, that are driven by what they ought not to do. And when you are driven by the law, Paul says, you're driven actually to death. Because what does the law do but tell us that we're sinners? And we have to be honest with each other. It's why the very first thing we do when we gather for worship is get rid of all hypocrisy. We are going to come in here and we are going to be flat out honest with God and with each other. I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess to you that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by what I've left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbor as myself. I'm not even going to pretend that I've been perfect. Because looking at the law, looking at the Ten Commandments, we don't see life. We see death. We see all the things that we want to do and yet do not do. And Paul says, if that's what you're driven by, you're going to be consumed with the anti-fruits. But that's not us. Each and every one of us, through the good news that we have heard about what Jesus has done for us, has had breathed into us the spirit that gives life. And that spirit as it work in us to bear fruit. All those fruits that we just talked about. The fruits of the spirit, the fruits that give life to us, and most importantly, life to those around us. Nobody wants to be around people that are all about enmity and strife and division, right? Who wants to be around people like that? Who wants to have them as a colleague? We gravitate naturally to the people that show the fruits of the Spirit, and there's only one who gets the credit for those fruits. Whenever you see them, you should say, thank God, the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the one who gives these fruits in a dying world, who takes even me who's made of dead wood and gives me life and causes me to bear fruit that lasts not fruit that only poisons. Whenever I talk about fruit and life and vines and all of this stuff, especially on a day like today, I'm always drawn lastly to a song by Andreas Wollenweider. There's a mouthful if you don't speak German as a first language. He's Swiss, harp player. Nothing more ironic than a harp player, is there? But it's actually kind of an upbeat song, and it's called Harvest. It's all it's called. And at the very end of the song, there's a poem that's recited, and it goes like this. Seeds of doubt grow vines of judgment, vines of judgment, thorns of blame. Seeds of beauty, fields of wonder. Seeds of anger, blades of shame. Seeds of knowledge, trees of wisdom, and trees of wisdom, fruits of grace. Seeds of tears, vines of forgiveness, Seeds of sorrow bring the wildflowers of faith. Seeds of truthfulness grow the tangled roots of feeling. Seeds of joy, the vines of laughter, 
fruits of laughter finally bring the wine of healing. You are the vine. We are the branches. That's what we say about Jesus, right? The fruit gives the signs of life. When we plant seeds in us, when the Spirit plants the seed that is Jesus in us, it grows good fruit. But when the evil one comes and sows seeds of doubt, sows seeds of anger, sows seeds of sorrow, they can't help but only grow bad fruit. So today we give thanks for the Spirit, the great gardener, the one who sows the seed that is Jesus in us, that it might bear fruit abundantly. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. If you'd like to learn more, visit intheway.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless your week.